Hey, welcome to the Christmas edition of More Than Bread. If you were caught up in listening episode by episode, or at least within a handful of episodes or so of being caught up, then then you've been listening to this Christmas pause series during the Christmas season. And if not, I don't know, it might be spring, summer, fall. But regardless of when it is for you, my name is still Dan, and in my now, it's the Christmas season. So I decided to just take a pause, a Christmas pause from our series on Paul's letters from prison. As soon as I'm done with this Christmas pause, we'll head back to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. But for now, we're taking some time to ponder Christmas. Like I said in the last episode, while there isn't a single gospel Christmas story that I haven't heard and probably preached on multiple times, one of the things that I love about Scripture is the way the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to speak a a fresh word to us every time we read it, as long as we're willing to lean in and do something with it. So, So that in part is what I'm praying for for myself and each of you, that somehow the Spirit will use these few minutes to just speak a fresh message into our right now personal lives. And that we'll not only listen to it and learn from it, but we'll lean into it. We'll do something with what we've heard. If the Spirit can convicts us uh, of, of something to let go of or grab or hang on to or move into or do, that we'll do that. So this is episode number 212 of More Than Bread and day nine of our Christmas pause. We've already invested a a handful of episodes looking at Christmas previews or prophecies in the Old Testament, and and now we're taking a bit of time in Matthew's gospel, after which we'll move into Luke, and and then the Apostle John will, will close us out. In the last episode, we looked at Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and it was all about seeking Jesus. And uh, you know, the star, the magi seeking Jesus. And, and remember from the story that Jesus told about the sheep and the goats, when we serve others, they are Jesus to us. There's a sacramental kind of aspect to serving those in the margins of life. And I, I ended with these words. What if Jesus in need is actually the star that will lead us to Jesus in disguise? Emmanuel, God with us. In this episode, we're back in that same set of words from the mouth of God, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And and once again, we'll jump from there to another sort of Christmas story that comes later in the Gospel of Matthew, later in Jesus' life. I'm reading from the New International Version, Matthew 2, verse 1. Here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When they, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And and in my words, that prophecy was from the book of Micah. Verse 7, Then Herod called called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. (laughs) In case you didn't realize it, Herod's lying. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another way. Donald Whitney called it one of the saddest experiences of my childhood. It was his 10th birthday. The invitations had been mailed to a select group of friends. They, They all came over to his house after school. They played football and basketball outside until the sun went down. And, and then his dad grilled hot dogs and hamburgers while his mom finished the cake. Then came the gifts, right? A highlight of any birthday occasion. But as Whitney relates, honestly, he said, I can't I can't recall even one of the gifts today, but I do remember the great time I was having with the guys who gave them to me. I had no brothers, so the best part was just being with the other boys. The climax of this celebration was to be his gift to his friends. He was even more excited about giving his gift than he was about receiving their gifts. Nothing was too good for his friends. He was going to pay their way into the most exciting event in town, the local high school basketball game. He says, standing at the window, paying for nine 25-cent tickets and surrounded by my best friends, it was one of those simple yet golden moments in life. And as we went inside, I remember feeling happier than Jimmy Stewart in the closing scene of It's a Wonderful Life. But it didn't last. Because once inside, his friends scattered, and he never saw them again that evening. Without a thank you or a goodbye, they were gone, leaving Donald to spend the rest of his 10th birthday all alone. Now, Donald is not the first birthday boy to be forgotten by those who've been invited to the party, is he? Remember, Christmas is Jesus' birthday party. I mean, do you you ever get this sense around December 26th that something is missing, this nagging feeling that we've forgotten something we should have remembered? I I think sometimes what we forget is simply this. It's not my birthday. (laughs) It's not my day. It's his. Christmas is the celebration of Jesus' birthday. It's, It's his day. Now, now let me make it clear. We make such a big deal of celebrating Christ's birthday because never has such a gift been given to us as the gift given on the day Christ was born. Son of God, overflow of heaven, Jesus dropped into the ocean of of humanity and created ripples that changed the world, the gift that changed the world. The day Jesus was born was the day the world began a whole new era. The magi, the wise men understood this. That's why in Matthew 2, they they came seeking Jesus. Following the star, they came to worship him. And part of their worship, it says in Matthew 2, verses 9 through 11, was that they gave him gifts. I mean, Jesus is the greatest gift ever given to our world. But the wise men did not come empty-handed. They came bearing gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All really expensive gifts in those days. Why did they do that? Because they were celebrating Christ's birthday. And and there's something so amazing about that. I mean, what's messed up is when the one who is the reason for the season gets forgotten by the ones he invited to the party. So what would it be like if for the next handful of days or weeks, we might focus our attention on celebrating Christ's birth, celebrating Christ like, like never before? What if The question that consumed our hearts more than any other the next few weeks was the question, what gift can I give that will touch the heart of Jesus? What gift can I give that will touch the heart of Jesus? So there's a story in Matthew 26. I said we're going to go ahead to another story in Matthew about a gift that touched the heart of Jesus. And, And here's what it says. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany 
just outside of Jerusalem at the home of Simon, a man who previously had had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were offended, indignant when they saw this. What a what a waste, they said. So, so imagine this scene. It's a day or two after Palm Sunday, a few days before Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus is with his friends in a little community called Beth- Bethany. It's a place that Jesus loved to be more than any other place on earth while he was on earth. John provides us with a more complete guest list. Mary and Martha were there. Lazarus was there. Jesus' disciples are there. They're at Simon's house. And can you just picture that gathering? Jesus in the middle, grin from ear to ear as they talk about Lazarus. (laughs) This is just a few days after Lazarus was called forth from the grave. He had died and Jesus resurrected him with a prayer to heaven and a cry, Lazarus, come forth. And and so I just imagine them sitting around the table and, and just grinning from ear to ear as they talk about Lazarus and the looks on everyone's faces when Lazarus came walking out like the mummy from the tomb. And, and on his right, Simon, the healed leper and faithful Martha, bursting back and forth, friends all around. And, and then there's Mary. Matthew simply calls her a woman, but John in his gospel names her. Mary, who couldn't get enough of Jesus, who watched through tear-filled eyes as Jesus called her brother Lazarus back from the dead. What's going on through Mary's mind? I mean, before Jesus ever did anything for her, she loved him, and, and now she just can't help but watch him, the sparkle in his eyes and the motion of his hands, a smile. And back and forth, she glances from her brother to Jesus and back to her brother and to Jesus. And and as she sits there, I just imagine she has this love burst, an explosive moment of tender affection where her heart is just so full, she's she's ready to explode. One, one time I, I called home from church and my son Jake was was about four years old and, and he answered and he knew it was me, but I pretended it was someone else. And we went through this little routine. I hung up a few times and called back. It was a little thing, but when I finally admitted it was me, he laughed and he laughed. He thought it was the greatest thing. I went home a little later for lunch and wrestled around with him a bit. And, and Lynn told me later that when I left, as I was walking to the car, he's looking out the window, watching me with a huge smile on his face. He looked up at Lynn and said, man, you just got to love that guy, don't you? <laughs> I don't know if he had a love burst when he said it, but man, I, I sure did when I heard it. Mary felt this love burst. She left the table and got a small bottle out of her basket, about 12 ounces like one of those old glass Coke bottles. It was full of a very valuable, fragrant oil. And and what we find out is that it was worth about a year's wages. I mean, what would that be to you? She walked over behind Jesus and uncorked the bottle. By now she has everyone's attention, but Jesus doesn't notice until she begins to pour. And she poured it all out. She's all in. Over his head and his shoulders, John tells us, onto his feet, The fragrance of an extravagant generosity love burst spreads throughout the room, a $50,000 love burst. And while Mary was having a love burst, the disciples are having a brain burst. They're, They're offended. What a waste, they said. You know what they were saying? They're saying, Mary, that's too extravagant. I mean, sometimes when it comes to generosity, we have a hard time connecting our heads and our hearts. Generosity, I think, is primarily a matter of the heart. We can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. 
And what we'll see in a moment is that few things touch the heart of Jesus, like extravagant generosity, sacrificial giving. I mean, this bottle of perfume could have been sold for a high price, a year's worth of wages, and and the money given to the poor. But Jesus said, why are you criticizing this woman? She's done a good thing to me. She's done it because she loved me. You're you're always going to have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She's poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. The disciples were annoyed because they had just missed this incredible opportunity to help the poor. I, I understand that. If I was Mary's pastor, I probably would have said, why in the world do you have perfume that costs so much? And and then I would have told her about our 1% offering. Don't pour it out, Mary. We can sell it. It'll feed, clothe, and educate 200 kids for a year, Mary. It'll it'll send 100 missionaries into villages throughout Myanmar, Mary. People that have never heard about Jesus will hear about Jesus. You know, over the course of the last few weeks, many of you, listening, have received information on all that we do to help people in need through our 1% offering. And and like I said in the last episode, when we give to serve or love those in the margins, Jesus says we're, we're doing it to him. We're doing it for him. And you know, over the years, God has so convicted my heart about his bias for the poor and the joy of generosity, those two things together. So I, I can't be too hard on these guys. I mean, Just hours ago, they were with Jesus, and he told them the story that whenever we help the least in the world, whenever we give a drink to somebody who is thirsty, whenever we feed somebody who is hungry, we serve him, we serve him, we serve Jesus, we feed him. And and, and he challenged them to feed the poor and take in the homeless and help the hopeless. And now they've missed a prime opportunity. But, But here's the deal. The disciples had two problems. You might have one of these problems yourself. First of all, they were living from a perspective of poverty instead of living with an attitude of abundance. I remember visiting with one of Calvary's spiritual leaders once, and in the midst of the conversation, he said, Dan, whatever you do, never let fear or finances be the driving motivations for your decisions. Always hung on to that. See, the disciples felt like they needed to conserve what they had in order to accomplish what God had called them to do. But here's their other problem. When they heard Jesus talk about the poor, you know, whenever you feed somebody who's hungry, you feed me. When, when, when they heard Jesus talking to them about, about serving the poor, they missed the motivating passion. See, Mary's motivating passion was that she was just crazy in love with Jesus. See, I, I think the disciples heard Jesus say, do it to the least of these, in that story of the sheep and goats. But Mary heard Jesus say, you do it for me. Mary was just crazy in love with Jesus, and nothing will inspire us to extravagant sacrifice and passionate generosity like just being crazy in love with Jesus. See, here's what we we need to constantly ask ourselves, especially at Calvary. Am I loving Jesus or am I just doing good? And if we're just doing good, if the 1% offering is just about doing good, it doesn't mean much and our motivation will run dry. But if we give because we love Jesus, we'll change the world and touch the heart of Christ all at the same time. Her love led her to an extravagant sacrifice, and that gift touched the heart of Jesus. In fact, he said, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout this world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And I I can't help but wonder, how will I be remembered? Listen, few things get remembered like extravagant sacrifice. 
extravagant sacrifice touches his heart. But it's not just the extravagance that touches his heart. It's the giving because love gives. Love gives. I mean, I think about that story and all that goes through my mind is I wish I wish I could stand before you, Jesus, and give you a gift like that. I wish I wish I could give you a gift that would touch your heart for your birthday and, and see the look on your face as you unwrap it. <laughs> but then to go back to Matthew 26, here's the cool thing you can. Jesus left that story with us. We looked at it in the last episode, Matthew 26, where he simply says to the people around him, you're blessed because when, when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink of water. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I had no clothes, you clothed me. When I was in prison or sick, you visited me. And the people around him will say, Jesus, I think you got me mistaken for someone else. When did I see you thirsty or hungry or naked or in prison or sick? When did I see naked Jesus? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. You know, the the 1% offering is is only one of many opportunities, but it is an opportunity to celebrate the gift that changed the world by loving those in need. God has blessed us tremendously. He has. Personally, individually, corporately, God has blessed us tremendously. He he does good in us so that we can do good for others. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. I'll never forget the first year my whole family visited Myanmar. I was I was talking to a guy named Pang, and Pang was the director of an orphanage of about twenty to thirty kids at the time. He was telling me how much the Nargis cyclone. You remember that? It had messed up their lives. It had wiped out their rose garden, which means they had lost about five hundred dollars a month, about fifty percent of what they needed to care for all their kids. And meanwhile, the cost of, of, of the staples, rice and oil and gas, had all risen dramatically because of the cyclone. And, and it, I was talking to me, he said, you know, the economy in Myanmar is very bad since the cyclone and the monk uprising. And I, I wasn't even thinking as I responded, it was just one of those carry on the conversation comments. I said, yes, I, I understand our, our economy has gotten very bad in America also. And he looked at me and with gentleness and humility, in halting English, he said, I do not think I want to hear about your bad economy because I think when your economy is bad, it is better than when our economy is good. And I'll tell you, God just sliced through my heart as he said those words. Since then, there have been times, I think, when I've been almost embarrassed to ask God to bless me because I can just hear him saying, what do you mean, bless you? You don't have any more room for any more blessing. Use what I've given you to do good, and then we'll see. The Bible is really clear on this. God is overflowing with life and love and grace. He's overflowing with blessing, but we won't get into his overflow unless we're willing to give away what we get. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others, and that's a gift that will touch the heart of Jesus. Father, I pray for each and every person listening. God, I pray that that, that you would... You would give us opportunities to bless others and that you would you, you would give us some way, God, some sign of, of the smile that puts on the heart of Jesus. I, I pray that as we do good, we would do good because we love Jesus. 
not because we we want to be known as people who do good, not even just because we want to help other people, although God let that motivation be in our hearts as well. But God, I pray that we would be so crazy in love with Jesus that like Mary would be willing to sacrifice. We would be drawn to extravagant generosity just to say, Jesus, I love you this much. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us to your party. You are amazing. We thank you for all these things. In the name of of Jesus, we pray. Amen.